This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This episode, the 196th episode overall, is available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app, and also at warfradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be chatting with Lotta Herkins and Laura of the Amsterdam Devils of the Western European Women's League and St Kilda AFLW defender Clara Fitzpatrick. But first, the latest women's footy news. First of all, we begin with the AFLW and a couple of best and fairest awards were announced over the past week. With the Greater Western Sydney Giants, Elise Parker has taken out the Gabrielle Trainer medal for the club's best and fairest with 61 votes, ahead of Al Bennett's on 55 votes and tied for third, Britt Tully and Jess Delpos on 49 votes respectively. Here's Elise Parker speaking to the GWS Giants website. Well, I was just telling Tate I was almost going to burst into tears. I'm not sure if the champagne or... Um, but I definitely know it's because it's such a... Well, it is. It's a surprise um, to see the names that were named before me. Um, they're amazing footballers, but even better people. And to be named alongside them in front of some incredible people that are behind this club, I mean, in our team, it's an amazing moment um, and something I'll never forget. Obviously, it's different times at the moment. Um, I'd love to be with you all and be able to thank you all in person. Um, but, yeah, very surreal, um, but incre- incredibly honoured to receive this. Elise Parker also took out the GWS Giants Members' Choice Award. Other award winners for the Giants include Lisa Steen taking out the Rising Star, Nicola Barr for the Community Award, and Cora Stoughton for the Coaches Award. Also over the past week, the Richmond Football Club held their inaugural AFLW Club Best and Fairest. Monique Conti took out the award with 25 votes. Phoebe Monaghan second on 22 votes. Gabby Seymour third on 18 votes. Tied for fourth, Christina Bernardi, Grace Campbell and Cody Jacks on 16 votes each. Cody Jacks also took out the Best First Year Player Award. Here's Monique Conti speaking after she was announced as winner of Richmond's inaugural AFLW Best and Fairest. Yes, there's a lot of people I'd like to thank. And I first want to start off with my parents, of course. Shout out to my mum and dad. Um, mum for, you know, always cooking, cleaning, make my bed all the time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, my mum's um, my hero and, and she's always been there for me by my side and supported me no matter what. No matter what. And so has my dad. My dad's always been that one that pushes me on the footy field, especially, you know, um, uh, being a big fan of the sport on its own. And obviously my brother and sister, um, Gabby does look up to me and I do, you know, take note of that. Um, she's already taller than me, but that's all right. Um, and, yeah, they've just always supported me and, and doing what um, families do. So um, that's really special to me. Um, and, you know, my extended family as well. And I put Cody in that and her family. She's um, really close to me and, you know, she's sort of someone that I've taken under my wing and, and try to help her develop my game, which develop her game, which has helped me develop as a leader as well. Um, and shout out to my auntie Zimala, she'll be watching and she'll love to hear that. Um, big thank you to Sydney as well. He's he helped me throughout this season and some tips and tricks here and there and someone that knows the game pretty well. It's always good to have, have that help here and there as well. So thank you. Thanks, Sid. Um, and of course, um, Richmond, it's Richmond in general. Um, what an amazing club. I can't believe I'm playing I'm playing for Richmond and, you know, to win this award, it's um, very humbling. But, yeah, just a shout-out to, you know, everyone behind the scenes. You know who you are, um, from people in admin to the head coach. Just can't thank you enough. And good news was announced for women's football in South Australia. The Sandfield Women's Competition, which was suspended after four seasons, along at the same time with the AFLW, will return and complete in full its 2020 season come late June. Here's Sandfield CEO Jake Parkinson to explain. Well, today Sandfield are thrilled to be able to announce the commencement of the Sandfield Statewide Super 2020 season. Uh, we've got a, a start date of Saturday the 27th of June uh, where we'll kick off the men's competitions and the women's competitions. For our women's competition, our Sandford Statewide Super Women's Competition, we see the recommencement of that competition having already played four rounds. We'll complete the further six rounds. We will then have 
three rounds of finals, we could see a grand final on the weekend of August the 22nd and 23rd. That audio courtesy of the SANFL Facebook page. As of recording on the 2nd of June, AFL Victoria has yet to announce its plans for the VFL women's season for 2020. And finally, AFL Canada will be hosting a club development webinar series. Their first webinar will be on June 7th at 4pm. That is Eastern Time in Canada with Professor Mike Narain of Brock University and the Carlton Football Club on social media and branding for AFL AFL Canada clubs. More information via AFL Canada's social media channels. And that's the latest women's footy news. Back in early March, we saw the kickoff of the new Western European Australian Football Women's League, or WEWL for short, containing the Paris Cockerels, the Amsterdam Devils and the Rhineland Lions. The first round of the Galilea Cup was a great success. We were looking forward to these teams meeting in the AFL Europe Champions League in April, and then in May they were going to meet in Cologne. Unfortunately, that was all put to a pause due to the COVID-19 situation. But the good news is restrictions are slowly starting to ease as we heard a couple of weeks ago from the Rhineland Lions. Now we're going to hear from the Amsterdam Devils point of view about what's happening in the Netherlands and we've got joining us on the line Lotta Herkins and Laura Boggan of the Amsterdam Devils. Lotta and Laura, how are you both? I'm great. Good, thank you. Yeah. yeah. We're and enjoying the sun. Summer is starting here so it's, it's awesome. Well, you're just teasing us because we've just hit winter here in Australia. I know, I know. That's, I'm doing it on purpose. <laughs> I know you, your summer is just ending, yeah. And a very, very cold start to winter it's been in Melbourne as well. Oh, but let's talk about I'm sorry it. to hear that. I'll send some sun your way. <laughs> we could do with it. We could do with it. Uh, Lotta, let, let's start with you first. Um, how did you first discover Aussie Rules football? Um, so actually, I first discovered it when I was in Australia um, about three years ago, um, and I was staying with a friend of mine, and her son played for the um, like they, he did the youth program for the Sydney Swans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to one of his games, and then I said to my friend, they they tried to explain me the rules also by watching one of the games on TV, and I was a bit lost in the beginning. But eventually I said, oh my gosh, why don't we have this in the Netherlands? This is like the perfect combination of soccer and, you know, being allowed to tackle someone and everything. Uh, but we didn't have it yet here. Um, and when I was back here in the Netherlands, I think a year ago or something, or one and a half years ago in the winter, I was just working um, in a coffee place. And then suddenly a bunch of girls walked in with foodies in their hand and they looked like they just trained. And I just asked like, sorry, but what are you doing with a foodie in Amsterdam? And then they explained me that they started a team. That's how I started, in a, and then I joined them. And Laura, yourself, as an Irish woman, how did you come across Aussie Rules football? Yeah, I think um, for me, I grew up playing Gaelic football and camogie for uh, for a long time, so I was aware of like international rules. Um, and like Lotta, I spent some time in Australia, actually became familiar with the game. Uh, they're a big Richmond supporter. Um, but actually, it was when I moved to Amsterdam and I went to join the Gaelic football team here. Actually, the evening that I joined, it just coincidentally happened to be a joint training with the uh, Gaelic football team and um, the AFL team um, in a kind of an attempt to grow the girls game here in, in the Netherlands. So, um, yeah, I kind of went to my first training session, got, got to get a kick of the ball and haven't stopped since. <laughs> And what can you tell us both a, a little bit about the Amsterdam club, particularly on the women's side and, and how it's developed over the last year or two? Because uh, in the past, the only results we've really heard from Amsterdam is when you actually host the uh, AFL European Champions League every April. Yeah, we didn't have a women's team until I think December or like November 2000. Um, now I have to say it right. 18, I think, or 19. 19. Um, and um, then Richard Allen who played in London, came to Amsterdam and she uh, found the Devils but discovered there wasn't a women's team. And so she, she's actually the one who decided I want a women's team in Amsterdam while I'm here. And she put a lot of energy and effort into finding girls all through Facebook and uh, the connections she had and Australian kind of the, the groups here in Amsterdam. Um, and that's how we started with, I think, five people training in in the cold on the museum square in Amsterdam. And then 
in a year time we we had a, we have a really big team um, uh, with a lot of positive energy. That's kind of how we we grew the game for the women here. Sadly, Bridget already left. She's back in Melbourne at the moment, but um, so we have to miss her. But. And Laura, what are the numbers like at the moment? As you said, it's only been a year or so since the women's side has uh, um, come to be in Amsterdam. You've obviously joined the WEWL. So what have the numbers been like you've been able to get to training? And, and what have been some of your recruiting methods to get those people to join the club? Yeah, as Lotta said, we started as quite a small group, maybe five or six people, but it's really grown and doubled in size over the year. And I'd say mainly uh, one of the reasons for that is the strong collaboration with the uh, Gaelic football team here, uh, so Amsterdam GAC, but then also we're an all-Holland ladies team here. Uh, So Bridget reached out to the GAA club here. And uh, through that, we've been able to, to get some great players, to dual players, to play both um, Gaelic football and Aussie rules. And, and even Bridget herself came and, and uh, started playing on the Gaelic football team as well. So through that, through expat groups, um, Amsterdam is a huge expat city. We've been in. Um, and people sometimes just seeing us play in the park, want to see, uh, want to join in. They see how much fun and how much of a laugh we have. And it's good fitness as well. So that's been really, really good to drive the numbers over the last uh, 12 months. And now we've only recently started training uh, back now post-COVID for the last um, two weeks. And we're doing combined training with the boys. So it's been small numbers at the minute, maybe 15 people, uh, a mix of boys and girls. But uh, good to get back out on the pitch. So you've entered the Western European Women's League. Uh, first of all, uh, Lotta, how did that come about, um, uh, joining forces with the Paris Cockerels and the Ryan Lions to uh, form this three-team competition? Uh, I think we were all uh, missing a competition. Um, and also, um, there's kind of a rule that if you want to be part of Champions League, then you have to have your own kind of competition. Um, so um, we started to like we had some connections in Paris and in um, and in the other cities. So we started connecting with them, seeing what was possible because also they didn't have a competition themselves. So in, in that way, we uh, built up our network, and then and then mostly our coach Steve and some other girls in the team they made it happen. And um, th- that's that's so we had in the beginning of March we had our first day of playing with the three teams, which was really amazing. Um, and everybody had so much fun. And so it's actually really nice to go to a other city, another country to experience the team there and the atmosphere and everything. And it wasn't a bad outing for you coming away. Uh, one win, one loss, uh, losing to Paris on their home soil, but scoring a, a handy uh, four to five goal victory over the Rhineland Lions. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we we actually had a lot of new girls we didn't see. So a lot of the girls played their first game, which is happening a lot here in Amsterdam because we um, we have like the guys normally have they have a lot of Aussie players and everything, and we actually have a mix of everything. We even have a, a Peru girl, and like we are a total yeah mix of every nationality within our team. So a lot of girls have never played before, so they they kind of are like looking around, trying to find a pace, trying to find like how it goes, what works, what doesn't work, and also how who who can play where. So our coach T was also looking, okay, maybe this defender is more better in the attack and everything. And we miss a, a few vital players as well. So I think that's what you can see in the first, like in the game that we lost, we were like really looking like where do we have to go and trying to find our mojo. And we found it at one point. I was... I sadly, I, I broke my finger a week before, so I had to be on the sideline, very frustratingly filming. Um, but it was amazing to see the girls grow within the game. Laura, so, from watching um, that first game, um, a for the first for the girls that played their first game, what was their feedback of their first experience playing Aussie Rules in a competition? And secondly, who stood out for you? Who were a few of the surprise packets that hey, we've got a player here? Yeah, we um, feedback from the girls was they just absolutely loved it. Um, what we miss at the minute is is game practice, and that's part of the reason why the tournament was was set up to allow us to have that ability to put into practice the skills that we've learned throughout the year. So I think, um, yeah, I think 
it was really just the the hunger to want to win the ball, to catch the ball. Uh, that was really the the messages that we got back from them. Um, yeah, I think um, f- people finding their positions, people who um, maybe come like thought they were a forward player coming into defence and really being able to defend was uh, was some of the things that we learned as well, which was really great. So you've had the first game. Everything looked like a success for the WEWL. Uh, according to the fixture, it was going to be Cologne on, on May 16. was going to be round two. And then, of course, you were going to host on June 20th. There was going to be the AFL European Champions League in the middle of that as well in April. And then the COVID-19 situation happened. Uh, Lotte, can you explain from um, uh, the Netherlands' point of view of what restrictions you had to go through during that time? So uh, we we didn't really go in a, in a full lockdown, uh, but we weren't allowed to do a lot. So they they told us like you can go out. You we were still allowed to go, for example, for uh, a run or for uh, biking, but not in groups. So um, actually, until yesterday, we had um, in Dutch we say It's like a, it's um, you're prohibited to be together with more than three persons. So. Um, if you are with more than three persons, then you can get a big fine. So, um, and that has been on for, I think, the 21st of March or 23rd till yesterday. So, uh, but slowly, um, practicing like sports and everything that was allowed. Um, at the 11th of May, kids were allowed to train again because kids, um, yeah, they, they carry on the, the COVID, um, virus less than older people. And then I think a week later, uh, older people are allowed, but we're still not allowed to do any competition-like training. So it is training sessions with um, a meter and a half distance, and that are the rules at the moment. But for two months, we weren't really allowed to do anything in that matter. Yeah, you, you could maybe kick a ball with a friend on one-on-one in the, in the park, but that was it. And uh, Laura... So, uh, and Laura, once we start to hear that some of the restrictions are being uh, eased, we, we hear of um, the return to play plan. Many countries have got it coming in uh, where it's, it's certain phases as you go along. Some dates might be adjusted as they go along. What are the next steps that have been outlined for the Devils that you will be allowed to do to hopefully be playing again in 2020? Yeah, well, following on from what Lotta said, so we are back training once a week now. Um, abiding by the rules and sticking to the 1.5 metre distance as much as possible. It does mean a lot more kicking drills and a lot more running, but that's good because uh, we didn't do too much uh, during lockdown. Um, and then over here from the 1st of September, it's looking like games will be possible to, to play again. So um, at the minute, we're just focusing on uh, fitness, getting that back up and skill work as well. But then hopefully come September, we should be able to start doing some practice games, whether that's within the Netherlands um, and with other teams, or hopefully we will be able to get back um, with the We Will and uh, organise some games with, uh, with our other teams. Yeah, let's talk about that um, as you roll into September. As the phone call already being made out to the Ryan and Lions and Paris uh, uh, Cockrell's about trying to restart the WEWL, but obviously with, with new dates. And uh, amongst just what you were doing with the WEWL, had there been other clubs prior to COVID-19 you had reached out to that you had actually pl- were planning to play against? Well, we did a lot of friendlies last year, I know, with the Scottish team as well. So I think, uh, yeah, if this hadn't happened, we definitely would have been, if COVID hadn't happened, we would have been looking to organise a few more more friendlies, whether it's with um, Wanderer Demons or with the Scottish team that we played last year. And um, definitely the more practice we get, the better we, we can all become. And uh, Lotta, what is the plan also for the Devils and I guess Netherlands football going forward? Um, obviously, is there a hope for a second women's team there in the Netherlands? And since um, I guess Amsterdam can be under the Netherlands banner, was there hopes of playing in the nine-a-side Euro Cup competition, whether it was going to be this year or perhaps next year? Yeah, so um, uh, Steve and I and then our, our vice-captain uh, uh, Merel, we're actually we really want to try to get a, a, a fully Dutch squad um, to be able to play, um, yeah, as as Dutch girls uh, within the competition. But it's still been a bit hard to find enough uh, Dutch girls. But we're we're I think we're around six seven players right now that are fully Dutch or just or partly Dutch that are allowed to play 
under the Dutch flag. Um, we we were aiming in the we were aiming a little bit for this year, but we were also uh, probably a bit too how you say that uh, positive about it. Um, so we're, we're trying for next year um, to to get a fully Dutch team and to be able to go. To, I think it was it somewhere in Norway or Denmark this year or somewhere in Scandinavia. Um, to uh, to join the Dutch guys because there is actually a Dutch men's team uh, of AFL, um, and that's a mix of several. There are three other two other clubs in Amsterdam, from apart from, or in, in the Netherlands, apart from the Amsterdam Devils, um, and they form like the Dutch team of the guys. So we would join them. And uh, but sadly, it's not happening yet. But we're working on it very hard. And uh, Laura, being Irish yourself, you would technically qualify for the Irish Banshees, which uh, play obviously in the Ninerside Euro Cup, as well as the AFL European Championship, and were meant to be playing this year in the AFL International Cup, which has been postponed to next year. Any hopes of trying to get onto the Banshees side? Um, uh, they're a very strong team. <laughs> a very, very strong team. So, uh, I know my focus is on the Devils and uh, us coming back for Champions League 2021 and absolutely smashing it. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 what are your, your next immediate goals for the Devils besides playing? What do you hope to achieve in the ways of recruitment to help your club uh, grow forward? Uh, I guess, I guess for me, I would say that it would be nice to have um, uh, to to grow bigger, like more girls, but also a bit more solid. What I noticed now is that we have a lot of girls that are here um, just for like a year, and then they leave again. Which means that you're like your team is all the time it's it's getting smaller and then bigger then and smaller. And um, there are only a few girls left that are actually part of we call them the, the founding team. So I think we're left with four or five of the girls that started in the beginning. And it would be nice to have a bigger uh, core squad that actually uh, will be here for another five years because then you can really build on them. And then it doesn't matter if you have like 10 girls that are only there for like a year or a year and a half or don't really know or can only play for two, three months. But in any way, you have like this really this big core that you can work from and you get a really strong uh, team within it. And yeah, I don't totally know if Laura... Agree. Yeah, okay, Laura. I totally agree as well. And I think um, one of the things that we really benefited this year was the partnership that we had with the GAA club and some of the girls that came over, ex-county players, um, that were just, yeah, the the skill and experience that they have of reading a game um, really benefited us uh, through some of the friendlies that we had this year and even in the in the round in Paris, the side of the We Will. So um, I think that collaboration and working at both ways would, would benefit um, both clubs. And Laura, yeah. just extending a little bit further onto that, um, how would you describe the Amsterdam Devils' style of play? Obviously, you've had very few games to, to judge from, but if I take <laughs> a look at a, a national context um, from the last AFL European Championships, people look at the Germans and they go very similar to how they are in soccer, very regimental, strong structure, strong defence. Uh, the Great Britain Swans, for example, play a lot of possession football. The Irish Banshees, typical of Gaelic football, it's a lot of run and carry. How would you describe Describe the devil's style of play. Hmm, that's a tough one. Um, we're fighters. Yeah, we're fight. That's very good, Lotta. I think we work hard, we play hard, but we are we fight to the end. Um, and particularly us girls last year, Champions League. Some of us it was our first time playing, me included. And yeah, it was just you got to give it your all, and everybody completely did and left nothing behind so I think a lot of you're right we're definitely fighters we've got a devil spirit <laughs> yeah and I think in a way we also have a bit of the Dutch mentality which is um, there we, we have a saying It's I will say first in Dutch but it said uh, uh, which actually means um, no complaining but scrubbing the floor in a way but just like work hard don't complain go for it so if you want to change something then go for it and fight for it so, and not, not whine from the side. And before we let you go, uh, Lotto, I might as well ask the question, if people are looking to find out more about the Amsterdam Devils, whether to watch or support from afar, or if they know friends that are over there in Europe at the moment and they want them to be playing Aussie rules in the Netherlands with the Amsterdam Devils, uh, where can they find you online? So there's, there's an AFL Netherlands um, uh, website. So you can like contact the board or people there. They know... 
who to contact, but we also have a Facebook page and we have uh, Instagram accounts, uh, the Amsterdam Devils, but also the AFLW uh, Netherlands. Uh, so you can follow us there and contact the people there and they will send you, they will reply to your message. Um, I think that's like we're, we're all on social media. Well, Lotta and Laura, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. We wish you all the very best as you start to come out of uh, the COVID-19 situation. Hopefully a couple of more games for you in 2020 and hopefully a couple of more wins as well for the Devils. Yeah, we're looking forward to them. Thank you very much for interviewing us. Yeah, thanks really nice. for having us. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us. Don't go anywhere. Our chat with St Kilda's Clara Fitzpatrick is coming up right after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. In Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We heard one Irish woman just a few minutes ago. She's playing with the Amsterdam Devils. Now we're going to chat with another one who is playing in the AFLW as part of the Irish Invasion. But she was one of the early ones to come across. She came in 2016, playing originally with Diamond Creek alongside another Irish woman, Laura corrigan Jaray. She would play with Melbourne University in the VFLW in 2018. She would then swap to a third VFLW club in 2019, the Southern Saints, and that put her on the path to scoring an AFLW contract. An impressive first season with the Saints in the AFLW, but she finds herself currently back in Ireland at the moment due to the COVID-19 situation. It's our privilege to have back on the line a guest we spoke to back in early 2017, Clara Fitzpatrick. Clara, how are you? Hey, hey, Peter. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I'm doing pretty well. Um, back home in Ireland now for just over two months, so just soaking up a little bit of sunshine over here. At the minute, which is good. That seems to be the theme of everyone we're chatting to at the moment in Europe, just reminding everyone here in Australia how cold it is, how much lovely sunshine you're getting up there in the Northern <laughs> Hemisphere. Exactly. It's sometimes rare to come by in Ireland, so um, we're just going to enjoy it while we can. <laughs> Before we talk uh, St Kilda and all things AFLW, let's rewind back uh, to 2017. As we said, we last spoke to you when you were trying to find a club. Uh, you were tossing up between two clubs mainly because of distance the furthest club was actually Diamond Creek and you went there because another Irish woman Laura corrigan Jurea, said come on <laughs> come play with me first of all how did you find the Diamond Creek experience oh it was amazing um, obviously the journey out was um, I think it took me about an hour and a half two hours to get up to training um, so I was kind of splitting my time between playing Diamond Creek football and playing a little bit of Gaelic football um, so it was really good. The club were amazing, very facilitating, uh, especially Chris O'Connor. Um, from day one, he used to take me out for extra kicking practice. Um, and it was really good now to have somebody pretty supportive at the club. And then obviously I knew Laura, um, which was good to know another Irish person at the club. Um, unfortunately, I was kind of away probably more than I was there um, as I had to go do my farm work uh, for my second year visa all to do with visas with us internationals unfortunately <laughs> but um, no it was pretty amazing pretty amazing uh, club so it was uh, just very unfortunate that they I guess we had a fold uh, the VFL team uh, after that year so not too good that way. Well let's touch on two things from that year first of all you did manage to play in a grand final now you didn't play in the VFLW team's grand final side as you said because you were missing a bit but you did manage to play in a grand final which you lost to Bendigo Thunder in the Northern Football Netball League in in their Division 1 women's competition Um, how was that experience playing at that level and mind you uh, you were named best on ground in the grand final for Diamond Creek um, well, I know it was an amazing experience. So it was, um, it was good to kind of go another level up, I guess. Um, I mean, we've been tra- we've been training hard, and I was still kind of getting to grips with the game at that stage. Uh, I mean, I'm still learning today. Um, but it was amazing. It was an amazing experience um, to play alongside some unbelievable players, uh, and just the, the team feel as well within Diamond Creek was pretty amazing. So yeah, it was a pretty good experience. Uh, just obviously, unfortunately, we didn't get the 
the results we wanted. <laughs> but um, it's all part of the learning process, I guess. We'll come back to mentioning someone from Diamond Creek in just a moment's time, but you did manage to play on what's now known as Marvel Stadium, not with Diamond Creek, as I mentioned, in the VFLW Grand Final, but with the Irish Banshees in the AFL International Cup Grand Final. Can you talk us through your experience of playing ruck for your country in that tournament, including, well, you were almost not going to make the Grand Final. The GB Swans took it right up to you in that semi-final. You managed to get through by the skin of your teeth, and even then, you had a thriller against the then reigning champions, the Canadians. Exactly, yes. Well, um, so I played a little bit of um, AFL over home uh, before I went over to Australia, just kind of dabbled in it a little bit. Um, and then to come across with a, a lot of the girls that came across to Melbourne then to play in the International Cup. So I knew a lot of the girls and kind of was getting to meet a couple more as, as we were gearing up for the, uh, the Cup. Uh, it was just an unbelievable, that was probably one of the highlights of my sporting career. Um, just to get to know the team, uh, to represent your country. Um, and again, there was really high standard of football being played, which is great. Obviously, we had um, very, very strong opponents in both Great Britain and Canada. Um, and again, we probably were lucky in both games, um, but a little bit of luck of the Irish um, always helps a little bit. Um, but it was an unbelievable experience with an unbelievable group of girls uh, and management. Uh, and yeah, definitely one of my fond our fondest um, sporting memories <laughs> to date. <laughs> As we step back for a moment, as we're mentioning Diamond Creek, this will also transition to 2018 for you because, as you said, Diamond Creek uh, uh, no longer took part in the VFLW along with a number of other clubs for the 2018 season. And you found a new home at Melbourne University, but there was a link. And that wasn't just through uh, players such as Ash Riddell and Sophie Abitangelo coming across, but Scott Gowans was coach of Diamond Creek in 2017. And then as part of landing the North Melbourne AFLW position, he landed as coach at Melbourne University. Can you talk us through what it's like playing under Scott Gowans at not one, but two clubs? <laughs> well, yes, I will indeed. So I was initially playing under Scott in 2017, which is the main reason why I went to Melbourne Uni. Um, we, I kind of was stuck for a club then. I wasn't too sure who to go to or what way what way it worked for here. Um, so Scott had just said, yeah, look, a couple of the girls come across over. It would be great for you to come and join. Um, and I kind of just followed his lead. He went over to Melbourne Uni and I just kind of followed like a couple of the other girls. Um, and that was, that was a brilliant experience. So it was, um, you know, I was, again, forever, I'm forever learning in, in the game. But um, it was very good in terms of I was playing a full, a full season with the ruck, in the ruck position. Um, I was getting to learn a bit more about the game and just enjoying it. So it was, uh, he's a very, um, he's very structured based Scott. Um, but he's very good and he knows a lot. So he's um, a pretty impressive coach. Not only playing for two different clubs, but almost two different philosophies at the same time. When you were playing with uh, Diamond Creek, obviously you're learning the game, but Diamond Creek's main objective then as a club is to win the flag. When you were playing with Melbourne University in 2018, as Scott admitted to us during the VFLW Match of the Day coverage, uh, it's nice to get a win, but that wasn't the primary purpose because Melbourne University was serving as, as we call it here, the reserves to North Melbourne. They're trying to focus on uh, bettering their AFLW side. How is it trying to play in those two different philosophies where you know that things are going to get changed around a lot and what might have been a winning combination one week won't necessarily happen the second week because you've got to try plans B, C or D. Yeah, that was a bit, initially that was a bit different to get my head around. Um, usually whenever I go out to play any sport, um, I'm usually pretty competitive. So you generally go out to do your best, go out and win. Uh, win is kind of the number one, you know, enjoy it and try and win as best you can. Um, and Scott was very honest with us at the start of the year and he said, you know, it's not, it's not about the winning, it's about the, I guess, how we do, the, you know, how we get on uh, through the game and um, how different combinations are going to work together. So there was probably a lot of inconsistency that year in terms of team play, just with trialing different players in different positions. Um, I just, I guess so he could see, you know, what works well or what doesn't. Um, so probably it was more of a year of uh, reflection and development as opposed to, right, let's go out and win this flag. So definitely, definitely different mentalities. Um, but the one I would kind of be used to would be, Get out there, give it your best shot and try and win it as best you can.
As we roll through from 2016 to 2018, obviously your two-year visa is coming up. You've done uh, the, the farm work. Some may go back after that time. What made you want to stay in Australia? Um, so, well, first of all, the football was the number one thing. Uh, I was really enjoying it. And I, now, with, within the last kind of couple of years, I was playing a little bit of Gaelic football as well. So it's kind of going between Gaelic football and the AFL, which kept me pretty occupied. Um, as well as that, the lifestyle over here, uh, the weather in Melbourne. Um, I'm a big fan of the sunshine, so any kind of tan weather, uh, and I'm happy out. Um, but just the opportunities were just uh, unbelievable, uh, even with work as well. Um, I got in working with a really good physio company, uh, and they've been amazing. Um, they've been amazing supporting me and working around me as best they could. So yeah, it was. Um, it was kind of. I guess they were the main things. Pretty much football the lifestyle, the weather. And um, I did have, um, my sister was over with me as well and a good friend of ours. So we kind of all lived in the, in the house together and we were kind of happy, happy enough floating along. So doing pretty well. So by the end of the 2018 um, season, you haven't been drafted yet. New clubs are starting to come into the AFLW. We first see North Melbourne and Geelong, and shortly for Victoria, we were going to see St Kilda and Richmond came come in. Uh, what led the, to the decision to switch from Melbourne University to playing with the Southern Saints, based out of Moorabbin? So I was again, I was kind of playing a little bit of Gaelic football and a little bit of AFL. Uh, and at that time, I thought maybe I'll just, um, I, I just didn't think I was getting probably the development with Melbourne Uni, like unbelievable club, but probably just for me, I was just playing Gaelic football and getting away with it. So in terms of um, improving my skills at the AFL, I, I probably, probably because I wasn't really as focused on that. Um, I did, it wasn't really going anywhere. It was kind of just getting along. So then a friend of mine had kind of influenced me, uh, had mentioned to me about Southern Saints AFL and said that they were very good in terms of player development uh, and really just taking it down to basics and they would, you know, focus a lot of time and really just developing where you need your work or your weaknesses. Um, so I basically, I got in touch with Peter and she called me back a day or two later, invited me down to a training session and said, you know, see how you go down there. We'll see, we'll see how you go or whatever. Um, and kind of from then, uh, I just absolutely loved the club. Um, even the commitment outside to try and improve in every little thing uh, was amazing. You know, um, outside the hours of training, they'd come and they'd help you whatever you need, technique, whatever you need. Uh, they were just amazing and just, um, yeah, just really wanting to help. And probably, I guess, because it wasn't a, it's, it's not my first sport, I had a lot more learning to do than most people. Um, so, yeah, they, they were very good in spending all that time with me. And um, even this year, you know, they have no quarrels as to to help me with anything, really, which has been pretty amazing for me. And what so, was it like for the first time and I guess the first few weeks being spent with Peter Sill? Because, again, you haven't grown up in Australia. You haven't been playing in the what was the old VFLW when at the time Peter Sill was coaching and led Darabin to five flags in a row and is known as a legend throughout women's football. What was it like meeting her for the first time without knowing all of that and then going under her teaching. Yeah, yep, so again, I was pretty going in pretty blind. I didn't really know too much um, about the history of it. Um, but once I kind of got in, after the first couple of weeks, I just knew by the way she went about it, by the way she taught, she just has a very caring side to it. So she really cares about the team and the individuals. Uh, and she really, she, she just so, she's just so knowledgeable. Um, so she will you know, whatever you're doing wrong, she will come over and, you know, show you ways to correct it and, you know, to just make sure you keep practicing and you, you keep improving. So I kind of knew within the first couple of weeks, wow, this this woman's pretty pretty in the know in terms of knowledge. And, uh, uh, yeah, so I was um, pretty landed at that stage. So. As we've seen, you've played in the rack at Diamond Creek. You've played in the rack at Melbourne University. you played in the rack with the Irish Banshees. But... With the Southern Saints, the switch comes to you playing as a tall six-foot defender. Can you explain when the first conversation about that happened and getting used to switching to the defensive role? Yes. So, uh, again, I because coming from a midfield uh, midfield player in Gaelic football, uh, I just kind of naturally slotted into the ruck. Uh, there was kind of, I guess, less thinking behind that. You just kind of followed the ball, uh, which suited me well. 
Um, but as and then I went into Southern Saints and we had a couple of you know training away for a couple of months and Peter had kind of mentioned about possibly trying me in a defence role you know as a tall defender to see how we get on so we tried it a couple of times in training and kind of after that they were happy enough with how I was getting on and and seemed, seemed to think I was getting on pretty well there so they just kind of kept me there and yeah I've just been learning about it ever since because obviously the the rules are a bit different in terms of rock and defender so uh but yeah so that's kind of how I came around Peter just kind of mentioned one day put the thought in my mind and then we tried it out of training and then yeah off we went and yep the rest is history I guess it seems to be a success because uh, in the first year of your VFLW with the Southern Saints you finished in the top 10 of the club best and fairest uh, yes, yeah, that was pretty. Uh, that was a bit surprising now, but um, I guess it was probably a good move on their behalf. They, they say they have the knowledge on where players should play or what player would be suited to a certain position, um, and they obviously they, they, they thought the defender role would be, um, I guess, more beneficial to the team and to myself. So yeah, they it's been it's been pretty amazing now, and um, they've worked with me and the defender coach as well. Has spent a lot of time just developing me, just get me clued into the game, what I need to know, structures, all the rest of it. So, it's, yeah, it's been pretty amazing. But one thing we actually commented on the uh, Southern Saints when we called them in the VFLWs, you actually had a very tall back line. I mean, one of the other players we think of was Frankie Hocking. Uh, she was a centre-half forward when she played in Sydney. She was switched to the back line. Uh, you would have played against her when uh, she was playing for the GB Swans in the International Cup. Uh, for Frankie, uh, a bit unlucky not to get an AFLW contract because she did her ankle through the VFLW season. Yes, yes. Yeah, Frankie has been unbelievable. She had a really good start to the season. Uh, she just had that setback of the ankle, which really just, I guess, threw her off. You know, once you're kind of trying to get over an injury and trying to make a team, it's just not possible if you're not fully 100% ready to go. So thankfully, she's had the she's had the kind of season to get over it and rehab it right. And I'm I'm 100% sure she'll be back raring to go this year and um, back at it. I mean, her strength and her voice as well in the back line is unbelievable. You know, she'll so try and help you as much as you can, just like all the other backs and, and the rest of the team, obviously. You're there to try and support each other. You're there for the goal to try and get the best out of each member of the team uh, so the team can do the best they can. So Frankie, was there. she's definitely a big miss as well whenever she's off the pitch. But um, no, she's, um, she'll hopefully be back, back in action this year if we get a bit of action going. And uh, hopefully as well in the VFLW, just another player quickly, we'll see Val Moreau as well, who did her knee prior to the VFLW season. Very unlucky. So uh, almost the foreign legion there at the Saints. A uh, Great Britain swan, a Canadian Northern Light and an Irish Banshee. Um, we should mention as well, um, uh, you and another tall got signed at the same time to the AFLW, yourself and Poppy Kelly uh, getting signed. Uh, what did it mean and yeah. how did they break the news to you that here it is, here's your AFLW contract? So I was actually um, I was in Ireland um, between July and August for three three and a half weeks. Um, I had a bit of a, a competition over here that I was at, uh, and had a couple of family things on. So I was over in Ireland for yeah I think I think it was probably four weeks actually. By the time you kind of lose days and gain days, um, and then by the time I got back, we had our last game. We were heading into our last game. Uh, and I was thinking, oh, geez, it's going to be a hard one to get even back on this team again. Um, you know, the, the standard's so high um, and everybody's been doing really well. I was like, listen, I'm just going to put my head down and train away and see how we go. Um, and we had our last game against Richmond. And after that, I think it was a Tuesday, we had a team meeting and they had announced it uh, just at the team meeting. Um, it was complete shock to me now. Uh, they, they kind of... Um, they wanted me to get up and do a bit of an Irish jig for being away for so long as a bit of a punishment. Um, so I was kind of dragged up to the front uh, for a bit. Um, and then once I returned to the seat, then uh, Pete just started talking a wee bit. And then she had said, then uh, basically you've been elevated to the AFLW team. So I think I was more in shock for the first couple of minutes. Um, and it was just an unbelievable, unbelievable experience. So um, yeah, I think I'm still smiling just saying about it now. We'll discuss Clara's first year with the Saints in the AFLW right after this. Been playing for a while, sweet kicks. Cos footy makes you smile, sweet kicks football. 
you're getting ready for the trials, gotta go the extra mile. Sweet kicks football. Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. In Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival and on your favourite podcast platform, this is the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. We're chatting with Clara Fitzpatrick, a defender with the Saints in the AFLW. And you slotted in beautifully to the AFLW team, making your debut in the opening game against the Western Bulldogs at Moorabbin. What do you recall about walking out onto the ground for that first game, a lockout, mind you, at Moorabbin? Yeah, I remember, um, I guess it was a bit of a mixture between nerves and excitement. Um, it was a lot of our team's first time going out um, and playing an AFLW game. So a lot of us were in the same kind of boat. Uh, obviously, a couple of the players had played there before and were kind of um, giving us a bit of advice or whatever. Just embrace embrace the day, embrace the moment. But uh, I guess probably within the first 10 or 15 minutes, we were quite nervous. But after that there, we just... Um, and it got up and got on with it and just had an amazing time. It was unbelievable just the support there and the atmosphere and, and just being a home match as well. It was just very hard, uh, very hard feeling to beat now, I must say. I guess one word to put into context for the Saints season has been unlucky. Two wins for the year could have easily had been four. Just a bit of luck just went, um, uh, didn't go your way, uh, including in one game against the Adelaide Crows, which you had the momentum, and then uh, the Crows switched around in the final quarter to win. In that game is when you did a concussion. I remember hearing the commentary at the time, and they said it was unlucky you weren't paid the mark because you did hold the ball, and then it just popped out yeah. when your head hit the ground. Um, is there yeah. anything you recall from that moment or immediately after that moment and the recovery process through that to, to come back after having to sit out what would be the Saints inaugural victory against Melbourne? Yeah, well, I wasn't, um, to be honest, I wasn't too sure if it was a mark or not. I just remember uh, just having the eyes on the ball and um, trying to go up for it. Uh, I got it in the hands, and then after that, it was just kind of, yeah, head on the ground. I was a wee bit dizzy after that. Usually, I'm kind of up and about um, if it's not too serious. Um, but I just knew there was something maybe not 100%, and um, just a little bit of dizziness. Um, and I uh, yeah, pretty much failed the... The concussion testing with flying colours um, straight straight after that. So um, yeah, it was a bit. I guess it was a bit scary at the time um, as to know how serious it is because obviously with concussion they could vary. You know, you could you can be back in no time, or you could have um, prolonged symptoms and you could be out for you know a year or longer. Um, but I was just I was so well taken care of. The medical team were unbelievable, um, and the, the whole everybody just got around me. Um, and I remember kind of for a day or t- for a couple of days after that, I was kind of a bit up and down and um, I was kind of taking myself off into the dark rooms or whatever and no noise, nothing like that there and just trying to relax. Um, and I guess I just did everything that I could in terms of recovery. Um, I mean, I have a little bit of a background on it in terms of physio. So other than that, I mean, I was back training the week after. I did miss the, the Friday night game, but I was back the following week training um, with no symptoms or anything like that and then was cleared by the medical team and thankfully nothing after that. Um, so I guess the, the doctors and the kind of physios had said because you did everything right the fir- like for the first stages um, and tried not to rush him back in it, or rush him back into it that everything went pretty smoothly. Like you couldn't have really asked uh, for much better. Like So um, to only miss one game, and very unfortunately it was... Um, I'm very obviously unfortunate to miss the game, but um, an unbelievable performance by the team as well. So uh, I was kind of screaming from home as well. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Let's talk about your first game coming back after a concussion, because it's something we, we don't get to talk about that often. Um, is there nerves when you first go out there or run into your first contest after? Obviously, you've you had a concussion. And is there a moment after that, do you feel okay, I'm back, I'm in the groove of things, I feel confident about this? 
Um, to be honest, I didn't really, I didn't really think twice about it. Um, once I was into training, full tilt, um, I was happy. And once I was, I knew I was able to do training and the full, the full physical contract of training. Um, I thought I'd be grand. So, um, I, I guess I was just unlucky the way I read the ball or whatever, just the the knock of it on the day. But um, once I got back into it, and um, no, I was raring, raring to go, especially after missing a game. I was nearly, um double hyped up I guess just to get back out there and uh, just get playing again with the girls so um, yeah thankfully there was no kind of second thoughts or him in hand it was just right, let's go for it here <laughs> see what we can do Let's talk about the final game. Uh, you were playing against uh, Richmond uh, before the uh, home and away season came to an early end. A game where you kept Richmond goalless. Uh, an incredible feat. You had a win. You got the Gatorade shower. First, how was it being in the middle to get that Gatorade shower? But second, how was it as well? Because um, this was what we call, I guess, a COVID-19 match, being out there with no crowd at all. What is that atmosphere like playing a higher standard, but no one's allowed to watch? Yeah, it was um, it was pretty much one extreme to the other. And um, so obviously on our, on our round one, we had the the lockout of over 8,000. And then you were going the final round we played to absolutely no one there, just the kind of um, necessary staff members and the players. So it was a bit of a, an eerie kind of feeling. Um, it was a bit stranger than kind of the, la- the previous games. But once we got out again, you just kind of think, you know, you're here to play football, you're here to win the game. So you just kind of zone out, um, you know, whether there's people, the crowd there or not, um, you just kind of know your job, you know your role, so just kind of get in and get it done. But definitely a, a strange experience going from round one to uh, the last round there. <laughs> So the season has been called off early. Um, the Saints just fell short of the finals. Um, before we talk about heading home, um, how did Peter r- review that first season uh, for you? Because if we look at it on paper from an outside point of view, we'd say, OK, it's only two wins. Could have possibly, possibly have been four. We'd say very impressive for what is actually a very young side. Yep, very true. Um, Peter was pretty happy with how we went. In terms of performance, we, again, I think we were probably unlucky at times, um, but that's just how football goes. Um, I guess generally you make a couple of mistakes here and there. We probably made most mistakes. Um, you know, like silly things that you might get away with in other games. So I guess we we were luck- we were unlucky in the end, tend to lose out a couple of games. But it was a great learning experience um, from from everyone, from the younger ones in the team to the the older ones in the team to the ones who have just started playing ones who have been playing so it was just great to get out and play together so I guess the big thing is the team connection you know we've just been working on that there and trying to come together as a team and I guess a team if you're going to get on off the pitch it'll definitely show and reflect uh, playing together on the pitch so I think overall there was a lot of positive feedback um, by the end of the season but again um, there's always stuff to work on um, so that's yeah what I guess the future will be (laughs) keep working on it so let's talk about um, everything being stopped because of COVID-19. All the Irish women bar Anya Tai, who stayed in Australia because she had family here, and, and even though she also had the ACL, she thought it was best to stay in WA. Everyone else decided to uh, jump on a plane and head back home. Uh, can you talk us through the thought process? Uh, were you originally actually planning to head back home to Ireland uh, after the season for the Norm- Northern Hemisphere summer? Were you originally planning to stay in Australia, but COVID-19 changed those plans? Uh, what happened? Um, so I was planning on coming back home anyway, just for maybe even a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months uh, during the summer. So I was planning on heading back towards the end of April, uh, just because I was on a sporting visa. So I could only uh, I could only have pretty much play FLW at the time. Um, but kind of with this craziness uh, of the COVID nineteen, and again it happened just so quickly. Um, we were very last minute and we just kind of booked, booked the flights and got over and um, we were just thinking if we got kind of well for myself personally if I got um, stranded in Australia I, I wouldn't be able to work as a physio um, but just because my other visa wouldn't have been processed yet so I decided it probably would have been safer for me to be at home um, where I could work as a physio uh, and work away so mine was a pretty quick I think we I booked my flight on a Wednesday night uh, for the Saturday so we pretty much had two or three days to just pack up our lives and oh, pretty much go and see how we go. So uh, that's probably about three and a half years of uh, the house packing and just 
yeah, just kind of gotten out the house and uh, yeah, off we went. So uh, all systems go, but that was the yeah, that was kind of how it went. Uh, it all happened so quickly, um, and we just thought, well, I, again, from my own point of view, um, in terms of work, because I didn't have the visa to work over there, I probably would have been uh, a bit snookered um, if I didn't get the other visa through. So yeah, <laughs> that's about the height of it. That's fair enough. Um, with your time there in Ireland, we've already seen uh, pictures from Ailish Considine of uh, looking at her sister through the window because she had to be in uh, quarantine for 14 days uh, as soon as she got back. Uh, what's it been like yeah. over the last couple of months being back in Ireland and particularly through their restrictions? And uh, I guess, what are you trying to keep fit uh, both physically and mentally uh, to prepare? Hopefully, we'll see your return in 2021. Yeah, so the plan is, um, so I'm, I'm still kind of hemming in hand on what to do now, but um, I guess whenever we first arrived over here, um, say myself, uh, my sister came over as well and a friend of ours. So we all came over together. Um, so my, myself and my sister uh, had to self-isolate for two weeks. So we were already quarantined for two weeks. So we didn't really have too much contact with the outside world. Um, and then kind of after that, uh, to be honest, we've had a great spell of weather. So we've just been uh, enjoying some family time. Uh, unfortunately, everything's kind of been shut here. The restrictions are still pretty, um, well, they're easing a little bit, but not as much as Australia. So um, I've just been kind of taking up uh, this and that, doing a bit of baking uh, and keeping fit. So we live just about a minute walk from a forest park. So thankfully, that's just at our doorstep. I generally go for runs um, every day or two uh, and just keep fit with kind of, we have our own, a training program to do over the off season just to keep us all kind of ticking over so not too stressful but just enough to kind of keep us keep us ticking over anyway um and as well as that so i've kind of been off the last couple of months um so just enjoying family time or whatever and i'm hoping to go back into physio work now in the next two weeks so it'll be all go from there Obviously, we're all trying to figure out what the border situation will be like. We're hearing that um, there could be by September that Australia will open certain borders for certain countries compared to where they're at with the COVID-19 situation. Um, we all think there will be an AFLW season beginning in January. Nobody knows because the VFLW isn't running at the moment. Um, should things return yeah. to some type of normalcy, are you looking to come back for the 2021 season? Yeah, well, I guess the main thing with me would be the visa front. Um, initially, I was on a sponsorship visa with my physio company. Um, and just with the restrictions, I actually had to, I had to give up that sponsorship and go on a sporting visa because I wasn't allowed to do both. So um, I was on then a sporting visa from November to, um, well, until I pretty much come over here now. And I was hoping to go on another visa for permanent residency. But, um, I mean, I've put that in, but I don't know if that's going to be back in time. So we'll just have to kind of wait and see and I guess see how everything pans out with the COVID-19 and just see how the world progresses with it and then kind of take every day as it comes. And, yeah, day by year, I guess that's the best thing for us at the minute. Before we let you go, we'll ask you a couple of questions about uh, your St Kilda teammates. Um, first of all, when it comes to leadership, who do you look up to the most? Um, well, I would say, to be honest, probably a combination of the three captains. Uh, so, obviously, ours is not like most FLW teams. We have the the three captains leading us. So, we have uh, Ree Watts, Kat Phillips, and Kate Cheetor. Uh, and they've just been an unbelievable combination. Uh, you can kind of go and speak to any of them if there's any issues. Um, but in terms of leadership, it's second to none. Um, and they really, again, they have a, a very caring approach to the team so they really care about again obviously the football as well but people's lives outside of football and um, so their leadership has been exceptional definitely from my point of view anyway out of the saints um who would you say is either your best friend of the team or your closest confident a person you turn to not just for on-field matters but anything that's happening off-field or in life in general um, well, generally, you can talk to pretty much anyone, but I would say for me, it would probably be Kelly O'Neill and Tamara Luke would probably be the two two girls that we kind of have a bit of banter with um, if there's any issues or whatever, just chat amongst ourselves. Um, they'd probably be the, the, main, the main girls that I would kind of chat to about it. And who would you say is uh, 
either your funniest teammate or the biggest serial pest amongst the Saints? <laughs> oh, we've got a couple of them, probably including myself. Um, but I, I definitely think uh, Liv Vesely is definitely one. Uh, she keeps everybody entertained. She's got um, some pretty amazing um, uh, hidden talents. So, uh, yeah, she's definitely one. She's always smiling, always laughing, always joking, uh, and just very, very good-hearted girl. So, um, and definitely just all about the team, which is class. And finally, before we let you go, one last question. What does it mean to you when you type into Google Clara Fitzpatrick and it comes up as Clara Fitzpatrick, AFLW footballer, including your own Wikipedia page? That's um yeah it's pretty surreal to be honest um yeah just uh yeah it's to be honest if you asked me five years ago um you think that would have been reality I would have just laughed at you uh, and now I'm just so grateful and thankful for the opportunities that I've been given and the people I've met along the way um definitely the journey has been amazing um but yeah just unbelievable and just enjoy every second of it and um yeah. So it's been, been amazing <laughs> to sum it up. <laughs> Not bad for someone that's come from County Down just to take a career break. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That was probably the best decision in life, I would say. <laughs> well, Clara, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Football on RSN Carnival. And uh, we wish you all the very best up there in Ireland as we sit out the COVID-19 situation. Fingers crossed everything goes well with the visa and we see you back in Australia for 2021 the AFLW season, and many more years to come. No worries, Peter. Thanks very much for chatting today. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football podcast for yet another week. Before I go, I just want to apologise for the technical issues we had with the podcast last week, which was unavailable on some platforms over Friday and Saturday. If you have any technical issues at all, the podcast will always be available via our original platform at soundcloud.com forward slash WARF radio. Otherwise, it should be available by just Googling Women's Australian Rules Football podcast, and you'll find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app and also at our website warfradio.com you can follow us on Twitter Facebook and Instagram just search for WARF Radio or of course listen to the show as it airs first every Wednesday 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time right here on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival I'm Peter Holden thanks so much for your company and I'll catch you again next week